Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Gilmore. When you walk into a church, what does it mean? Do you conjure up thoughts of music, singing, love, and compassion, or hypocrisy and judgment? Jesus left his church behind to be his representative to the world. In this series, you'll find out what his real church should look like. But we're talking about being judgmental, critical, hurtful. And so let's send to our feet as we dive into this portion of scripture in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. Then it's out of the message Bible. This is Paul writing to the church of Galatia. And it says, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God. And it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I am no longer driven to impress God. God, Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that. It is not clear, or is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate. God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rules keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Father, we thank you. You are here. God, we put on our grown-up shoes today. We want to be like Jesus. Teach us, show us, and illuminate this word. Spirit of revelation and knowledge, fall fresh in this place. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this message is called Fenced In, Kept Out. There is an alarming stat among millennials that 59% of millennials, meaning those that I think right now are right around 38 or 39 years old, 59% of them that grew up in the church have left the church. 59%. And I understand that we are in love with the way we do church. And I understand that how we grew up doing church changed our lives and it was impactful. But we have to think about the fact that we're losing a generation because of the way we do church. And think about it, if if that generation, the millennials, have a distaste about church, what happens when they have brothers and sisters that are Generation Z? Because guess what? Every person that goes to church becomes a billboard for the church. Every person that has ever gone to church becomes a billboard for the church. So if their experience was life-changing, guess what? They will invite people in. But if their experience was critical, judgmental, and hurtful, guess what they're going to do? It's like we're fighting ourselves. And I I thought about this. I got this fence on stage. This is a baby fence. So we got the baby fence. 
This is the finished work. Let me introduce you to a couple of people before we start. Can we put the one picture up? So this is our dog, Yaz. She is my nemesis. Ange loves this dog. At times it feels more than me. But that's okay. I'm secure in who God has made me to be. And I did put a ring on it so Yaz doesn't have claim. This is Dior. Dior is our daughter Amber's dog who is Yaz's nemesis. So when Amber comes home from school, she brings Dior with her. And this is what we've done. We bought this baby fence. It is not for dogs. It is for babies. So pray for Pastor Angie. She's somewhat confused. But that's okay. She's still anointed and beautiful. So I let her get away with it. But we have a baby gate for our dog, Yaz. And the baby gate is designed to keep Yaz fenced in. Keeps her away from getting around the house and doing what dogs may do around the house. So she stays fenced in this area because she's not old enough yet to have freedom around the house. When Yaz is home, the gate serves to keep, uh, or when Dior is home, it serves to keep Dior out. So the same gate that protects Yaz from me killing her. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry, Lord. Peter, I didn't mean it. But the same gate that serves to keep Yaz protected because she's too young to understand that freedom that she has ends up being the same gate that keeps Dior out. See, what we've done in the church is we've created fences. And what we've done in the church is we've created fences. It's this thing called fence laws. And fence laws are basically people taking the Bible, adding different things onto the Bible because they don't want people to fall into sin. And what we've done, and it's interesting, if we can put the definition of fence laws up, they consist of oral and written traditions, not part of the law itself, but built around the law. It was because of these traditions that Jesus and Jewish leaders of his day often found themselves in conflict. Because the Pharisees and Jewish teachers all often gave traditions as much or made it more important than the law. Jesus refused to follow their traditions and insisting instead of following God's law. So what we found is that there is a conflict because Jesus spoke primarily to Jews who understood the law. But these Pharisees and Sadducees would take the law and add to the law things that God never intended there to be. And what we've done in the church is we've taken God's word, added to God's word because we're afraid of our babies being lost. We don't want them to get caught up in drugs. We're afraid of them getting caught up in sexual sin. We're trying to protect them. And what we've ended up doing has created laws and traditions that have kept them out. See, these fence laws... I'm just, can I give you a couple real quick? And and I may get some letters and phone calls, but you have scripture. 
to back up what you're saying and we'll talk. There is no rule. There is no scripture that says a guy can't be alone with a girl in a car. I love the silence. There is no scripture that tells you that a guy can't be in an apartment alone with a female. But what we do, oh, oh I'm, I'm about to, ooh, it's about to get real. <laughs> now, I'm going to help you. So all of my, my, my people that have been around a while and, and my churchy people and maybe somewhat religious people know we got some time, so I'm going to pull it back in. There is no scripture that says a girl's dress has to be a certain length or that her top has to be a certain way. Now, hear me. I understand what the Bible talks about with modesty. And I understand what the Bible talks about with the appearance of evil. But when we talk about a group of kids who don't even know the first part of Scripture, how can I add to the Scripture on something that they don't even understand in the first place? You get it because of your years of Bible study and your years of understanding the word of God and how your parents raised you. You get it, but they don't get it. So how can you start by talking about that when they haven't even come to this yet? And we've created fence laws. And we have young people who come to church who've never been to church and don't know Jesus. And they come dressed in. And the first thing you want to talk to them about is a fence law. Why is your dress that short? Girl, put something on. Your, come on, you know. Can you take your hat off in God's house, please? Where is the scripture? And because of tradition and rules and fence laws, and listen, I get it, your heart's in the right place. You want to protect them like I want to protect Yaz. I repent, Lord. I, I do want to keep Yaz safe because I love Edge. But when we make up these rules and traditions, we're losing them. You know, the, the Bible in, in this portion of scripture, it's talking about Galatia. It's a Jewish church. They are Jews who came to Christ and they were living under the law and then Christ came and, 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 and they started understanding, okay, yeah, yeah, Christ is real. But Paul is chastising them, if you would, because they found out that Christ was real, but they're trying to add in their own stuff from the law. And he says, hey, when what actually took place, I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work, so I quit becoming a lawman so I could become God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. 
And then in, in uh, one portion in the NIV, it says, I am crucified with Christ and yet I live. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. When you read through the book of Galatians, it talks about how Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. And you understand that these Jews were actually talking to Gentiles who didn't grow up as a Jew, who didn't come to Christ as a Jew. And they're saying, guess what? But if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. Well, these Gentiles who didn't know Jewish culture just knew this Jesus that was attractive to them. Like, what's a circumcision? And when they find out what a circumcision is, oh, the devil is a lie. I don't have to do. No, no, no. But these Jewish Christians. We're trying to add to scripture. Jesus was enough. But they're saying, no, Jesus is enough, but. Jesus completed everything, but. And now before we get too judgmental, as we can often do, how many things do we add on to tell people they have to do? To be Christians. You need to stop smoking. You need to stop drinking. You need to stop fornicating. For those of you that are new to the Bible, fornication means having sex outside of marriage. Somebody had to tell me that years ago because I didn't know the Bible. And we make all these rules and laws before they even come to Jesus. Do you know that this group of young people, these millennials, aren't mad or frustrated with God. They're frustrated with church. It says they left church. They didn't say they left Jesus because they feel like, hey, I could come to church and get judged and be down. I'll watch Stephen Furtick online where nobody's going to judge me. I'll watch Michael Todd online where nobody's going to judge me because when I walk up in the church house where I need to be that I, so I can grow for real because Hebrews tells us don't forsake the assembling of the saints so we know that it's a part of our doctrine that we're supposed to do, but we've made a group of people feel alienated because they don't fit our tradition of church. It's called legalism. It's called legalism. We've fallen into the performance trap. You think that if I perform well enough, God's going to love me. If I act good enough, God's going to save me. If I act good enough, God's going to bless me. And what we've done is we've taken, we've become no better than the Galatians. That it's like, yeah, yeah, come on, come to church. Make sure you get your life right first. And we've developed forms of legalism. See, Legalism is designed to control. Legalism, it is inherently judgmental. Legalism is prejudice. When you think about the word prejudice, to prejudge a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience, we're prejudiced. You've made it about just ethnicity, maybe just age, maybe just sex. 
but we made it about church. There were prejudice. If we see a young lady walk in a certain way, we're already prejudging her as loose when maybe that's the only set of clothes she's got. And she wanted to come to the house of God this morning. And this was the best outfit she had. We prejudge a young man who walks in the door with his pants hanging down and his hat on. And we say, man, he must be this or that. When listen, nobody's ever told him for real. Not anybody with the relationship. Maybe people have stopped him on the street and said, pull your pants up or take your hat off in, in God's house. Listen, I don't know you and you don't know me like that. Why am I going to listen to you? We can be prejudiced. The Bible says that it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. He doesn't add anything on. And so I want to give you three misunderstandings that we have that keep us locked or keep us fenced in and keep others out. The first misunderstanding is a misunderstanding between the law and grace. We don't, we're just mixing all this stuff together. We see it in the Bible, and so since it's in the Bible, we just kind of mix it all, put it all together. We don't always understand the difference between covenants, dispensations, context. We just simply say, well, it's in the Bible, so this is what we must live by. And we get it confused. The Bible teaches us that the law was given to Israel. And God gave the law to Israel to keep them in check so they could continue to walk with him. The law was given to reveal sin. It is impossible for a human being in his own power to live under the constraints of the law. And we we love talking about Israel. Thank God saved them. And then they went right back to their mess. He saved them. And then it went right back to their mess. Listen, the law gave an outward expression of how people should act. When Jesus came and the Holy Spirit lived inside of us, he gave us a heart change. You can change the outward appearance of anything and everything, but if nothing is in the heart, nothing changes. And the law was given to tell them how to live and how to do. But the reason why they kept falling back into sin is because nothing changed in Israel's heart. The law was given to hold them. Until the sun came. Galatians uh, 3, 23 and 25 in the Amplified puts it like this. Now before faith came, we were perpetually guarded under the law. Kept in custody in preparation for the faith that was destined to be revealed, unveiled and disclosed. So that the law served to us Jews as our trainer our guardian, our guide to Christ to lead us until Christ came, that we may be justified and declared righteous and put right with God by and through faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the trainer and the guardian of our childhood. See, when you understand how the law and grace works, how the law and Jesus work, God gave Israel the law 
because they weren't grown enough, old enough, mature enough to do what God wanted them to do without guardrails. I call them guardrails. He needed to give them ways to live. This is how you handle your kid. This is how you handle your wife. This is how you handle your, your fields. This is how you handle this. And he was giving them outward things to do. And the Bible says, and you just read it, that it was a trainer, that it was a guide until Jesus came. Once Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. Once he fulfilled the law, it was not meant for us to live by the law to be made right with God. When Jesus came and we received Jesus as Savior, at the moment we received Jesus, we were right with God based on faith, not based on the works of the law. I'm I'm telling you in a second why this is so important. Think about it as a parent. When our kids were younger, We would set up rules and regulations so that they wouldn't hurt themselves. You can't go outside without me. You don't go with strangers. Don't don't get too close to the fire. Matter of fact, we would set up these rules. Here's the problem with some of us and the way we raised our kids. We made rules and then said they were God's rules. We set up fence laws to protect our kids. And guess what? They were needed. Our kids were young. They didn't understand that fire really burns. They didn't understand that if you get too close to the, sca- the stairs, you'll fall down the stairs and you can really hurt themselves. So as a parent, we had to set up ground. We had to set up rules and regulations to protect our kids. The problem that happens with that is instead of saying these are our rules, we made them God's rules. And what we've done is we've scared our kids half to death. Because it's like if you, God's watching you. If you don't do what I say, God's going to get you. And when they were kids, they may have been fine to an immature mindset. But when you're teaching a kid that God is a punisher, that God is going to judge you, that he's going to beat you down if you don't do what I say, guess what? They grow up being adults that think of God as a judge and is going to beat them down if he, if they don't do what he says. See, what you need to do is this. Hey, don't play with fire. Don't go near the stairs. Don't go outside without me. And guess what? You won't have to worry. God's not going to get you. I'm going to get you. You you see this belt right here? Let me introduce you. Because if you violate the rules of this house... I'm going to get you. But because we weren't comfortable with our own authority, we placed these rules and said they were God doing them. Now you got a grown man or a grown woman that doesn't want anything to do with God because they think God's going to get them. Do you know Jesus was enough? And when the law was given, see, The law was given to give parameters, rules, and regulations to Israel so that they could walk in relationship with God and stay in the flow of God's blessing. When Jesus came, 
we're already in the flow. We're already right with God. We're already accepted when we receive him as savior. So therefore, I can't work my way into this. I'm already in it. See, I believe this. Right believing leads to right behaving. Then when I already know I'm righteous, I already know I'm right with God. Something begins to shift in me where I want to act like what I believe. When I already know that God is with me, when I already know that God accepts me, when I already know I'm accepted in God's beloved and that Christ did the work and finished it, something inside of my spirit, because the Holy Spirit lives in me, makes me want to do what he tells me to do. Number two, misunderstanding of Christ's finished work. We don't understand that when he died on that cross and said it's finished, guess what? It's finished. Meaning the righteous requirements of the law were finished in him. So therefore, when I see that I can't add to his work, when no matter how good I am, I can't add to the fact that he's already done everything. I begin to see myself in a different light. John 19, 28 and 30 says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked the sponge in it, but put hyssop on the branch, held it to his lips. And when Jesus tasted it, he says, it is finished. Then he bowed down his head and gave up his spirit. When Jesus died on that cross, he paid the penalty of sin. So now we no longer have to pay the penalty of sin. Oh, you may have consequences for choices that you make, but the penalty of sin has been paid for. When Jesus rose from the dead, he gave us power over sin. So now the penalty has been taken care of. The power of sin no longer keeps you in a place where you got to do the thing that kept leading you into trouble. But the one thing that still has to be worked out is the practice of sin. Is you can't practice sin for 20 years and expect a moment at the altar to shift all your thought processes and all your behaviors. That is the process called sanctification. But I need you to understand this. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're not saved. Just because you're walking through whatever issue you're walking through doesn't mean you're not loved. While you're walking through what you're walking through, you are the righteousness of God. While you're walking through what you're walking through, you are God's beloved. While you're walking through what you're walking through, God loves you and you are his child. Do you disown your own child when they're walking through stuff? Then how could God do that to us? And I, I think of, I have a couple of cousins that are firefighters. And to become a firefighter, they had to go through a test, training, then an interview. And once they passed the test, they went through the training, did good on the interview, they became certified as firefighters. Nobody told them you're not a firefighter until you save your first cat from the tree. 
You're not a real firefighter until you pull somebody from the fire. No, at the moment the requirements of becoming a firefighter was complete, they were firefighters, period. Guess what? Jesus took the test. Jesus had the training. He was the one that did the interview. Therefore, the work is complete and is finished. So if I receive that, guess what? I am a firefighter or I am a child of God. So what happens now? Now I don't save people, live right, act right to get saved. I save people, live right, and act right because I am saved. I am a child of God. It is finished. It is complete. So therefore, my healing is complete. My deliverance is complete. And what I have to do is see myself the way he sees me. So guess what? For all my people, like, so Pastor Tony, you giving people a license to sin? Nah. And you know what? When Paul started talking about this grace, people were like, so Paul, are you giving people a license to sin? Because it sounds like you're giving people a license to sin. But I love Romans 6, 15 and 16. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. This is the part. Do you know or do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as an obedient slave, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, of obedience which leads to righteousness so he says no you may not be under the law but you're not under the the ability to say I can just go on and sin because guess what when I violate the sin principle I am bringing death on my life so guess what when I violate the principles of God in my finances death is coming to my finances when I violate the principles of God in my marriage Death is coming to my marriage. Why? Because I have made myself obedient to something. And guess what? You've made yourself obedient to something that doesn't even have power over you anymore. And this is what we do. We tend to lean into God's grace for us, but God's law for everybody else. Yeah, thank God for his grace. Woo! I repent, Lord. Thank you. Forgive me. Thank you for his grace. But then we look at somebody else and we're like, you got a tattoo? You got a nose ring? That's violating Leviticus, whatchamacallit, and whatever. Hmm. Funny how this works. The law works for you when you want it to work. But when you don't want it to work, you don't want to have it, huh? Guess what Paul said? If you live by the law, then you live under the curse of the law. So if you want to live by the law, guess what? You get everything that the law says that you can have. Well, from what I know from the word of God, the law says that anybody who violates just one part of the law has violated all the law. Therefore, if I want to hold myself to the standard of the law, guess what? When I cuss that person on the way to the grocery store, eh, violation. But when I know that I'm saved by grace, I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. 
He paid the price. It is finished. I am right with God. And here's the importance of this and why I went this route. Because how you see your salvation is how you see others receiving salvation. If you don't see this for yourself, you will judge everybody through the filter of your beliefs. And if you believe that you, you're saved because you work in this thing, right? I'm saved because, listen, I don't listen to this kind of music or I don't go to this kind of place. Listen, I, can I just help you for a moment? There is no scripture that says you can't go to the movies. No scripture that says you can't go skating. But we've raised a generation of kids to think they can't do any of that. And what ends up happening is when they get old enough, they feel like they're in bondage. They don't feel free. But thank God whom the son is set free is free indeed. And his grace overcomes all of that mess and those fence laws and religion and all of that. So now I can let, you know what I can do? I can trust that you are God's baby. His Holy Spirit lives inside of you and that he is going to help you grow up and develop into the person that you're supposed to be. And all I have to do is love you. And that's the third misunderstanding. We misunderstand that love is the new law. Love is the new law. Jesus said this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second most important is similar. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets stem from these two laws and are fulfilled if you obey them. Keep only these. Loving God, loving others. You will find that you're obeying all the others. See, the first four commandments were geared towards loving God. The second four, or second six commandments, were geared towards loving others. Nine of the ten commandments are placed in the New Testament. So when we think about that, they're under the, the, not the works of the law, but the outworking of the grace that we've received. So now we understand that when we are walking these things out, we're walking them out not to get saved, but this is how saved people act. And when I see somebody that's not acting in a manner that's not right, you need to think about what Jesus did with the woman at the well. How did Jesus handle Zacchaeus? How did Jesus handle the woman caught in adultery? Instead of getting your cues from traditions, get your cues from Jesus. And when we understand that, the law of love plays out and people are attracted to us. That's how this thing works. One of the most prominent pastors in our world, daughter ended up pregnant at 14. And he cared nothing about his reputation cared nothing about the traditions that he grew up with. He cared about his baby. What would a church look like that didn't care about traditions, that didn't care about the way it looked, 
but that we care about the individuals that walk through those doors. And we just say, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. Even when you blow it, even when you miss it, I'm still going to be here. I'm not going to join in the crowd that's talking about you or dissing you because of the mistakes that you're making. I'm still here. You know why? Because that's the way our God is. I love this statement by a friend of mine, Jason Bentley. He says, religion and the law says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. That's the gospel. And that's when we are no longer fenced in are keeping people out. We're loving people. When we don't walk in legalism and we walk in love, we're no longer churches. We're the church. And so this is what I want to do. I want to apologize. For every pastor who made their kids feel like they had to be perfect because of their call. For every church that made people feel like they couldn't make mistakes without being judged or put down. For every house of worship that made their traditions bigger than their God. For every person that ever made you feel like you were less than because you don't have it all together. I apologize. We missed it. We got it wrong. And I ask that you would receive the forgiveness of what took place for you. It wasn't right. It was wrong. It wasn't God. That is not how he is. And if you give God another chance, he'll love you right where you are. He'll help you pick up the pieces. He'll turn that thing around and give Give you the life that he's called you to. If you give God another chance and look past what the people have done to you. Hope you enjoyed that message. If you live in the St. Louis area or ever plan to visit, we'd love for you to join us at one of our services at 4324 Margareta at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Be blessed. We hope to worship with you soon.